Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Welcome to Raising Good Humans. I'm Dr. Aliza Pressman, and today's episode is all about the phone. Whether it's the more relaxed rules since two years ago when the pandemic started, or you're just introducing phones to your adolescent or even younger. These are strategies and tools for how you can better understand navigating this complicated world we are not native in. My guest is Dr. Ronnie Cohen-Sandler, who is a clinical psychologist who just wrote a book, Anything But My Phone Mom, Raising Resilient Daughters in the Digital Age. And I'm so excited to have this conversation. I know it is on so many parents' minds. And of course, if you want to continue deeper conversations or follow up, please sign up for my newsletter. And there is also an additional paid subscription of the newsletter for additional interactions, live Q&A, and extra content from the podcast. Go to draliza.bulletin.com. And of course, DM me on Instagram at Raising Good Humans Podcast with your questions and comments. And if you have a moment, don't hesitate to subscribe give a five-star rating, write a review, tell me what you like, and have a wonderful week. I'm sure you hear this all the time. I hear this all the time. Parents are feeling that the screen and phone boundaries have gone so off the rails since the pandemic started because it was the only form of communication, because everybody needed support in their parenting and babysitters and sometimes screens were the best thing. And in particular with tweens and teens, iPhones, phones, and social media became a lifeline. And now parents are like, how do I take this back under some kind of reasonable control and still give the relationship and the kids the amount of realistic screen time that they need? And responsible behavior and an end. So that's kind of where I wanted to start from and hear about what you've observed and how parents can, I don't know, take a new look at their relationship to their teens and screens. And we can go from there. Great. Well, I'm happy to talk about that. I just wanted to make one observation that in my experience, 
parents are feeling a lot of stress about this issue. And it's not just stress. They're feeling, I think, a sense of that they're doing something wrong or yeah. that during the pandemic, it's, there's a lot of regret about it and, and even feeling like they're not doing a good job as parents. Yeah. And I really think that's such a shame for a couple of reasons. You know, one is that I think parenting is really hard under any circumstances, but particularly in a, you know, once in a lifetime global pandemic where parents were at home and they were doing everything. Some of them were supervising remote learning. Some of them were basically homeschooling. And so, you know, they were just trying to nourish kids when it was hard to get food. I mean, the list goes on. And so I think that's really a shame. And I don't want parents to come from that place of feeling like they did something wrong, right? And also the, the research is, it's always mixed, but there's a lot of evidence that teens and tweens especially I use the same word you did, a lifeline. They benefited immensely. And the study that I read is that 42% of them said that during the pandemic, social media made them feel better when they were depressed or anxious um, or distressed. And that was even greater among LGBTQ kids. It was 52%. So I think parents need to kind of take a breath and realize, yes, there's, there's always you know something to be done about. And this is a great time to kind of recalibrate things, but not to come from that place. I really feel great about having this conversation framed under recalibrating and self-compassion. And also I want to hear from you on the benefits, not just the general doom and gloom idea about what phones have done to our, you know, this generation. It's so true that we need to take a more balanced approach. And I feel for parents because I'm I'm just writing an article now. I've even respected researchers in this field are writing articles with these very provocative kind of doom and gloom titles. And they contradict one another, right? For every study that shows that it's very harmful, particularly for teen girls, there's another article that talks about what I experience in my practice, which is that so many teens and tweens are finding communities online that they wouldn't have found elsewhere, right? They feel connections that are hard for them to make in person. And they're learning about things. They're getting to explore activism and things that they wouldn't have access to if they didn't have computers. So there are lots of positives. I have teens, even tweens in my practice, who have gone online to learn how to do crafts and or learn to bake or learn to to do all these things. And then they turned it into businesses. These are 12 and 13 and 14 year olds who are entrepreneurial and they feel so good about themselves. They're so empowered by this. So do you see that kind of thing? Totally. I, I think it's remarkable. In fact, I have enlisted my teenagers to figure stuff out for me because they're better at learning how to do things. I mean, they haven't turned anything into a business, but I have been mesmerized by the creativity and capacity when it's used right. And I don't have that. It's not how my brain works. 
and I have been raised in, as you know a native in this, but I am I'm so impressed. I also, you know, I think there are ways to, and and I hope we can talk about that. There are ways to get the best out of this technology, and there are ways to obviously get the worst of it. And when it is the best of it, it's been pretty remarkable what kids have been able to accomplish. Absolutely. I agree. And the key, as you say, is to use it responsibly. And I think having the attitude that you do is to be very impressed with it, but to realize that, you know, we're not digital natives and our kids have been growing up where cyberspace is their home, basically. And so a lot of parents get intimidated by that. And when people are intimidated and they feel like they're never going to be able to keep up with all the social media apps or learn how to navigate parental controls or things mm-hmm. like that, then sometimes they kind of stick their heads in the sand. Yeah. But I think that parents really need to be there for kids and teens and tweens because we're the only ones who can provide the values, right? I mean, teens get and tweens get all kinds of information and misinformation, but they need contextual experience, right? And they need us to teach them about etiquette and values and how to behave online, just as we have to teach them how to behave, you know, in real life mm-hmm. interactions. And so I think that this is a time when recalibrating for parents to think about what values they hold most dear and how they want their family lifestyles to be. And so that is the position that I would take as opposed to a punitive kind of, we're going to take this away from you kind of attitude, right? It's like now that we're you know getting back into real life, we kind of have to think about who we want to be. And now we're going to take a little break so I can tell you about my sponsor, Once Upon a Farm. Once Upon a Farm is the leading baby food and kids snacks company offering organic cold-pressed fruit and veggie blends, dairy-free smoothies, overnight oats, meals, and more. Once Upon a Farm products are made with whole organic farm fresh ingredients and no added sugars, concentrates, or anything artificial. And their new immunity blends are made with nutrition-packed fruits and veggies like elderberry and dragon fruit. And added probiotics to help support your little ones for the chilly season or any season. And they taste delicious. Their subscription offering is fully customizable, packaged in a convenient grab-and-go pouch. Their subscription offering is fully customizable, so you can pick and choose from their wide variety of blends or meals and switch it up before every delivery. Farm-to-fridge convenience without compromise. And... My daughter said it was okay to say this. She likes them as snacks and she's 15. (laughs) So get started today and enjoy an additional 30% off your first subscription order. Use the code humans at onceuponafarmorganics.com. That's code humans at onceuponafarmorganics.com. The new year is a time of reorienting our lives around the things we value. And of course, everybody makes New Year's resolutions. I try to make New Year's intentions and put a little less pressure on it. Keep your standards high with Third Love. 2022 is the year to do right by yourself. Third Love knows comfort and fit are essential to feeling your best. 
which is why they designed their Kinetic Sports Bra to support you every step of the way. The Kinetic Sports Bra is your new best friend. It's designed with unmatched comfort and support for your high-intensity workouts and your casual weekend errands. Available in 22 sizes for flawless fit, support, and comfort with back closures and adjustable straps. It's got high-performance design in an array of colors. When you wear the Kinetic Sports Bra, you actually don't have to wear two of them in order to go for a nice jog. And Third Love makes it easy to find a bra that actually fits with their fitting room quiz. The fitting room quiz is like a personal shopper, but better. It focuses on size, breast shape, current fit issues, and your personal style to find bras and underwear that are perfect for you. The fitting room has helped 18 million women find their true bra size, and you could be next. Love your fit, guaranteed, and if not, exchanges and returns are free for 60 days. And I love that Third Love is the largest donor of undergarments in the U.S., partnering with organizations across the United States. Third Love has donated over $40 million worth of bras to help people in need. Feeling is believing. Upgrade to everyday pieces that love your body as much as you do. Right now, you can get 20% off your first order at thirdlove.com slash humans. That's 20% off at thirdlove.com slash humans. Okay, great. So let's start from there. Um, let's say I would love to give a couple examples because this comes up so often. First, a parent who has a kid who is asking for a phone, it feels like they are both developmentally and age-wise ready. What is the best way to go about engaging in the conversation about like, what are our values? And then let's move on to the ones who've already had one and we need to kind of revisit what those values are, what we're trying to get out of it and what the parameters are. So it's always easier to start before your kids have any kind of device, Mm -hmm. right? It's always easier to, to assess whether kids are developmentally ready. And I treat this very much like I treat any other kind of milestone in a child's life. So for example, permission to go on a sleepover or have a first date. I'm always thinking about, does this young person have the skills to be able to manage that correctly? What I want to just highlight is It's not just that there's, because people often say, well, what age should I give my child a phone or access to social media? And I, I, I think it's really important to highlight that you said the skills because people have skills at different ages. Development is dynamic and unique. And it's so much, it's such an easier frame, even though people would love the, the script and the exact age and date. I like framing it with what are the skills to look for and going from there. Exactly. That's, I think, always the best way to go. And I think also framing this in, in the same kind of situation as you might think about other giving permission for other kinds of things, co-ed parties, one-on-one dating, it gives a context without being a good or a bad value, right? Like, it's not that like using technology is bad. You just have to use it responsibly the same way you would want those skills you want your child to show those skills before you give permission for any other kind of freedom or autonomy. So with a first phone, for example, I think it's really good to think about why 
your child needs a phone, first of all, because I think there has to be, has to be fulfilling a need. And also I think that a phone, if the child needs a phone for, let's say, communicating about getting a ride or being late for something, that phone does not need internet capability, right? Child of 11 or, you know, let's say early middle school age does not need to be carrying around a computer that's going to have all kinds of temptations when developmentally their brains are not mature enough to inhibit impulses and you're just asking for trouble, right? Yeah. (laughs) And so, you know, you want to get a device that does just what your kid needs and not anything more. And as you gradually add more functions, you want to be able to supervise your child. And so I think it's important for parents to be really upfront about what they're looking for and talk about values about what is said and what is not said. And, you know, the fact that everything you do online is permanent, it can always be seen or shown to other people. I love the rule of thumb for young kids. Like if you wouldn't want grandma to see it, don't write it. (laughs) It's a good, quick, easy way to uh, convey that. And along those lines, once you've started to give more capacity as they get more responsible, what what happens when they break that trust? You set that up in advance, I think. I think it's really important to say to kids from the outset, this is a process of learning. And just like you're learning any other skill, sometimes you might make a mistake. And if you make a mistake, we're going to talk about it together because it's an opportunity to learn. I want you to learn from your mistakes. These are kind of some broad guidelines. You know, I think it's important to tell kids what to avoid at the beginning and then say to them, you know, if I see that you're not doing this responsibly and you're not following the rules, then we're going to have to reevaluate whether you need some time to think about this or some time to demonstrate that you now have the ability to do this before, you know, you can use this privilege again. And so you're setting it up as sort of a collaborative thing. I think that's really important that we're doing this together. And and trust is so important. I think it's a two-way street because I know a lot of parents of even high school students who have gone into their kids' uh, message histories, threads, without their knowledge. And I think that's such a violation of trust. Mm -hmm. And I'm glad you said that because there's a really big difference between saying, hey, I have access to this information. I may check it. I may not, but I'm being transparent about it and spying. Oh, yeah. That's right. That's right. And kids have every right to feel like their privacy has been violated if parents don't tell them ahead of time look, you know, anything that you write can be seen by other people. And I'm going to see it too on occasion to make sure that I feel comfortable with what's going on. And, you know, sometimes it might be that you're going to see something as a parent and you're going to be uncomfortable with it, but it may not be specifically about your child. In other words, you may hear language, you may hear see how people are treating one another. You may see that friends of your kids are making mistakes. 
And I think that's a great opportunity to talk about these principles and these values without your kid feeling directly, you know, in trouble or anything like that. Because if you're non-judgmental and matter of fact about it, you can say, well, where do you think this person went wrong and what would you advise them to do differently? Can we do a couple scripts of what, um, well, you just did one because that was in a very non-judgmental tone and with non-judgmental language. A couple of scripts on more of those moments when you might've seen something that you are questioning and maybe a a script. And of course, everybody, I think it goes without saying, translate these scripts into language that is authentic to you and your relationship. And also that they are just helpful if they're useful and if it feels like I don't want a script, just ignore them. But I think a script for also when kids say, let's say you do have an 11 year old and they did, you decided I'm giving them a phone, but I'm not going to have it, have any apps on it. It's just for travel purposes or whatever. And your child comes to you and says, I'm the only person who doesn't have TikTok. Right. <laughs> that is um, such, <laughs> that that's a perfect uh, entree because <laughs> that's what they often say. And just substitute TikTok with any other thing. I'm the only one who doesn't. You know, they feel so left out. And, mm-hmm. and the implication is that you are the worst parent. You know, you're ruining my life mm-hmm. because we don't have this. Well, I think, first of all, I think it is good for parents to kind of understand the culture that the the kids living in the school, the community, um, Mm -hmm. because they really vary a lot. You know, in some places, you know, if you're 11 years old and you don't have TikTok, you don't have a way of having a common language with your friends. Now we can judge this or, you know, however we want, but it may be the reality. And so I do think it's important to do that, but, but I'm going to give you a script for anything that you feel like your family has different values. And I think Mm -hmm. it's important because you want to model for kids that sometimes we make different choices than people we really care about, you know, and it's just not right for us. And so what I would say is, you know, I know you really want this and I'm hearing that you really want it. And I wish I could say, yeah, I think that's a great idea, but I don't. And here's why. And I know it might be hard for you because some of your friends do have this. And, you know, it's something we can talk about. And what if you've given in, in your mind, I've given this opportunity, I made a mistake, my child doesn't have the skills, they aren't ready for it, things are happening. What's a script for taking a break and giving it a try after a little more development and time has gone by? I would use very much the words that you just said. I would say, we need to talk about this because. I'm uncomfortable with how this is being used. I'm seeing this, what what you're doing. So you state the behavior, why it's making you uncomfortable and say, I think that that may be something that is hard for you to do right now. You know, your brain is still developing and you're still growing and learning and that's fine. But I want to make sure that you stay safe or, you know, that nothing terrible is going to happen you know, while that happens. And so we need to take a little time out from this and revisit it in, let's say, a few months, six months or whatever. I don't know what the issue is, but, you know, you're, you're giving them some hope. You're not saying you're being banished from this, you know, for the rest of your life. 
But I also think it's important to say, these are the kind of behaviors that I'd like to see from you that will make me think that you're more ready for it. So there's some hope and something to work toward. Yeah. And when kids are a little bit older, teenagers, 13 and, and up, what are the kinds of pain points, if you will, or moments that you're seeing clinically where you've seen sort of the worst side of things and what's happening? Like, let's take a little time to talk about what's happening in the teenage brain and the developing teenage brain that needs more support or needs us to back off and everything in between. Wow, that's a very open-ended question. And as you were speaking, (laughs) a whole gallery of images went through my mind of kids who have gotten into trouble online. You know, I've gotten calls from parents who told me about kids being at private school, let's say, where everybody has a listserv and a dating relationship gone wrong, where usually it's a guy who posts a revealing picture about a girl and sends it to everybody on the listserv, students, faculty members, that kind of thing. And, you know, it's disastrous. You know, the victim in this case um, doesn't want to show their face at school and is feeling so much shame and ridicule, whereas the person who posted it is, you know, getting high fives. So I'm sure you've heard stories like this. It's still happening. So many stories like this still happening. And there's only so many, of course, you have to have the conversations in advance because when, you know, when kids are in love and excited and feeling like they're never going to betray each other, it's just even your, your parents' guiding voice of never send a photograph (laughs) or never request a photograph it's not going to necessarily resonate the same way. And we have to remember what it's like to be a, an adolescent who's, who's having those heightened emotional connections. And then, of course, remember how, I guess, to continue to instill the values in our kids so that they don't find themselves in those positions. But what are the indicators that your teenager is potentially having a tough time or things are going awry with the phone, with the apps, but you can't pinpoint what it is. You just are getting a sense that something's not right. That's a great question because usually you're going to sense it in your child's affect and behavior, right? So you might see a lot of, well, you're always seeing a lot of checking on the phone, but you're seeing a lot more And you're seeing not happiness, but looks of distress, preoccupation, kids who are distracted. You might see kids all of a sudden, their behavior is changing. Either they're not sleeping well, not eating well. And you might see changes in concentration. That's, you know, you see the result in terms of work not handed in or not grades going down. And that is a really good time to talk to teens about what may be going on. And hopefully you've already reassured them that if they're ever uncomfortable about anything going on online, that they can always come to you and that they're not going to get into trouble. And sometimes they're, I just want to say one thing, sometimes they're also afraid of getting other people into trouble. And so they're afraid, right? So they're afraid that parents are going to go up to school or call the parents 
these are tough things to handle as a parent, but the most important thing is empathizing with what your child is going through and saying, I'm really glad you're talking to me about this. And if they're not telling you about it, then you can say, I think we need to sit down together and look at your social media and let's look at it together and let's see what's going on together. There's no one size fits all solution when it comes to hair care. A product that works wonders for curls might make straight hair limp and greasy. I have pretty straight hair, but I like a little bounce. And thanks to my personal pros routine, I can say I am very in love with my hair right now. Pros makes custom hair care that's effective because it's personal, using natural ingredients with great results. Pros customizes every product in your routine from shampoo to supplements. First, Pros starts by asking about you as a person with their in-depth consultation, but not like a time-consuming one. Very in-depth. Pros asks really unexpected things. Next, Pros analyzed all my answers and determined what unique blend of ingredients should be in every product of my custom routine. Together, Pros got all my hair goals covered. As a carbon-neutral certified B Corp, Pros is an industry leader in clean and responsible beauty. All their ingredients are sustainably sourced, ethically gathered, and cruelty-free. And they're also the first custom beauty brand to go carbon-neutral. And if you're not 100% positive Pros is the best hair care you've had, they'll take the product back, no questions asked. Pros is the healthy hair regimen with your name all over it. Take your free in-depth hair consultation and get 15% off your first order today. Go to pros.com slash humans. That's P-R-O-S-E dot com slash humans for your free in-depth hair consultation and 15% off. I often find as parents are growing alongside their maybe 9, 10, 11 year olds that they, they're now 12, 13, 14, 15, and they're still wanting to engage with other parents to talk about the behaviors that are going on that they're, or the relationships. And I can see from you nodding your head that you know where this is going, but I really would love for you to speak to, because you said like sometimes your kids do want to open up to you and would, but they are too afraid and possibly rightfully so that you're going to then engage another parent and it's going to become a whole drama when really they just need somebody in their corner to listen. So what's the best way to find those limits between, you know, I I guess from my perspective, I would say if one of your friends is in imminent danger of hurting themselves or others, I'm sorry, I have to say something to the other parent, but absent of that, I'm safe and, you know, I'm not going to get involved. What you said is exactly what I would say to parents, that the most important thing that they can do is to make sure that their kids know that they're there for them and they will be a source of support for them. And if there is a problem that needs to get looked at or worked out, they're going to do it with you, not behind your back. They're not going to, you know, parents aren't going to go up to school and talk to a guidance counselor without your kid knowing. They're not going to call another parent. In fact, I think it's very unlikely that you would call another parent once kids are in middle school or high school. I can't even imagine a situation like that because usually it really comes back to bite you. Parents Mm -hmm. kill the messenger and no good comes of that. You know, and and this is the problem in, in some ways of social media because parents are aware of things that they never would have been aware of. You know, 
yeah. these, these little dramas that take place and kids are nasty to one another or, and you know, that's normal. They have to learn how to be friends. But when parents get involved, they hijack that opportunity and kids need to be able to work it out for themselves. However, what you said before is really important that I think it's also important for kids to know that when the stakes are very high, that they can count on you when something needs to be done. So for example, this has happened a couple of times to people that I've worked with where their daughters were friends with girls who were not eating. They were exhibiting disordered eating Mm -hmm. and the friends were very concerned, but they didn't know what to do. And so the mom sat down with them and said, I can understand why you're upset. You're being a really good friend. And I know this is hard for you. And I'm so glad you told me about it. What are you thinking that you would like me to do about this? And so they've discussed it. And the moms ended up talking to the guidance counselors anonymously so that the guidance counselor didn't share the name of the girl who told, okay? And just said, your friends are concerned. And Mm -hmm. so the guidance counselor uh, had the student into the office. It was explored. And and the same thing when kids are feeling like they're going to self-harm. So while we're on this part of it, what are the components of phones and apps and social media that you've seen that have been most damaging? There are some apps that allow people to supposedly anonymously, and they change all the time, by the way. Right. Right. Because some of them, you know, they go by the wayside and then new ones crop up. You know what I'm going to say. And they're particularly virulent among teenage girls where they, but boys too, but where they can say things about other people and evaluate other people, judge other people and be really cruel. And I don't think that there's any place for things like that. And those are the kinds of things that I think that parents can be really clear about, that there's no good that can come of those kind of apps and they won't be tolerated. That's one of the few hard and fast kind of rules, I think. The other thing is, I think among middle schoolers, group chats can be a big problem. It's almost like a sleepover where kids have phones. (laughs) Right. Right. Okay. So I'm glad you brought that up because group chats really help. And especially the last couple of years have helped kids feel super connected at a time that it's very disconnected. And also so many kids find themselves on group chats where they know in their gut, it's not like what's happening isn't right, but they don't want to pull themselves off of it because they don't want to be rejected by their peers. Help. Right. So parents can empathize with that quandary that they're in. You know, like I know that you feel good that you're included because you'd feel horrible if you were excluded. And that's what a lot of kids are feeling, right? Who are not included in the group chat, they're feeling excluded and horrible. But I know that you're uncomfortable with this. And I'm glad that you're telling me about this. What's making you uncomfortable? And then discuss what behavior and how it doesn't fit with that child's values. You know, that child has a choice and it depends on the age and their personality and all of that. They can say, I'm not comfortable with this, 
or, you know, they can stick up for the person who's the victim in this case. They can stick up for them. They can take a stand or they can remain quiet and not feed it. But I think what they have to be taught at some point is that when you're a witness to something like this and you do nothing, it's kind of tacitly going along with it. And that's a hard, that's a hard lesson. That is. And at what point do you say, you know, blame me, but you got to get off this chat? You can say, how would you feel if you said, my mother won't let me stay on this chat, you know, blame it on me. How would you feel about that? Would that give you an out? What can you do if you want to stay in this chat? What can you do so that you feel more comfortable and don't feel like you're betraying your values? So I don't like to like give kids the answers. I I like to use it as an opportunity to kind of brainstorm with them and have them think about different solutions and what each the consequence of each would be because they need to learn that kind of what's the word? I'm blanking on it, having a senior moment. They need to learn how to problem solve. Right. Right. If we solve them for them in our telling them what to do instead of helping them come to some some of their own strategies and solutions, we haven't really done them a service. But also what you're saying keeps your relationship so connected. Exactly, which is always my number one goal with all of this. That's why I tell parents that they don't need any tech savvy whatsoever. They don't need to know the names of the apps. They don't need to know anything. What they have to do is create this kind of close, trusting, open, collaborative relationship with kids to talk about this. Non-judgmental, I want to add that, because that's what's going to help. Absolutely. So are there step-by-step guides or some particular approaches that help cultivate that collaborative relationship? One thing that I think does help foster that collaborative relationship is by saying to kids right off the bat, I'm sure you've got more tech skills than I do. I'm not the expert on this. You're the expert on what it's like to be 11, what it's like to be 13. But I'm the expert on you and what is good for you. And I'm also the expert on how to avoid certain dangers because I've had more experience. So working together, we're going to make a great team. I love that. I just, I think this approach of thinking of this in this connection and collaboration instead of what has really become this battle between the old guard and the new guard of like, uh, technology is the devil. Technology is everything. It's just, there's no space for that conversation. It doesn't help anything. So this is a much more reality-based and science-based approach. I do want to say one more thing, which we haven't touched on. And that is, as you well know from your work and also being a mom, that kids pay so much more attention to what we do than what we say. So true. And, you know, so many of us, right, exactly. (laughs) They make us walk the walk. And so if we are setting out guidelines for the family, which I think is a great idea rather than targeting one individual child or another, and we say, look, as, as a family, you know, we're, we're not going to have the phone at the dinner table. We're not going to have the phone out when we go on walks or when we go on vacation or, you know, whatever makes sense for your family. I'm not saying those are hard and fast rules. 
but whatever you set out, you'd better do that. Or kids are going to cry foul. They're going to say, well, how come I have to follow those rules and you don't? And there's a certain truth to that.